This episode is brought to you by Selby Anderson, the marketing group that helps businesses in complex markets win the future. Welcome back to Unicorny, the antidote to post-rationalized business books. This is the podcast for senior executives who want to find out how other businesses are building value through marketing. Last week on Unicorny, I was joined by AML Group's Ian Henderson. We spoke to Mark Evans, who is the former MD of Marketing and Digital for DirectLine. And together, we talked about advertising. We discussed the amazing Winston Wolf campaign, the campaign that revitalized DirectLine, and the decision to transform it at its peak. Oh, that's a terrible pun. You're only going to get it if you listen to the show. We also discussed transactional trust versus relational trust, and Mark explained his choose your future philosophy. It was a great episode, so if you missed it, well, you don't need to lose out. Go back and have a listen. Today, we discuss how business-to-business senior marketers are being sidelined from strategic initiatives. We explore the impact of data obsession on their focus and their exclusion from critical areas of the business like mergers and acquisitions. And we end today's show by offering tips on value creation during tough times uh, by leveraging marketing naturally. And our guests give expert advice on how CMOs can reposition themselves in the C-suite for strategic involvement. Now that's a big show and I hope you're holding on to your hats. Let's jump right in. Georgie, hi, and welcome to Unicorn. Hi, thanks for inviting me here, Dom. Well, very welcome. Now, look, while researching the show, we were struck by how you uh, had joined some of the best-known brands in the world at pivotal moments in their evolution. Can you maybe take us a little bit back to the beginning? Tell us how and where you cut your teeth as a marketer. Yeah, so complete mistake. Three-day temp booking at Apple Computer in, I think, 1990. Went into work in the PR department as a temp. And on the third day, I was offered a job at Apple. I stayed there almost five years and left as a marketing manager. In that time, I would say Apple was the kind of foundation of everything for me. Not only did I make amazing friends, lifelong friends that have stayed with me as friends and uh, work colleagues throughout my career, but also the innovation and the creativity that was afforded there and the ability to be different. And uh, yeah, did some great stuff there. Launched Apple into retail, believe it or not. I launched the Macintosh Performers into retail across Europe. Launched QuickTime the first MacBooks and the first ever PDA, the Newton message pads. Oh, yeah. So what we did to do that was was groundbreaking as well. And then subsequently on to uh, Kodak, where I launched their digital cameras across Europe and digital services, and then led on to Telco. So I worked for Vodafone, where I led their uh, enterprise marketing, and then another leap into another industry, into cybersecurity, where I worked for Kaspersky. And since then, I've worked in N-Energy and some other SaaS brands as well. But I think it's always been technology that's really interested me yeah. from a B2B marketing perspective. Okay, you marketed through the digital revolution, so you've seen a lot of change. And I want to ask you how you think marketing's changed over the years. But when I'm asked that question, I normally have to start by qualifying it. So I'm just going to do that first. So when we talk about marketing, we could be talking about any of the three following things. Marketing is an industry. Marketing is a discipline. Marketing is activity. Actually, there's a fourth as well. Marketing is a department. Like most people talk about the last two. They're thinking about marketing either as an activity or as a department. Those things are all driven by marketing as a discipline, i.e. what is marketing? And that's what I'm most interested in. So do you think business's opinion of what marketing is as a discipline has changed over your career? And if so, how? 
Some companies, yes, but not nearly enough, quite frankly. I think, unfortunately, still a lot of companies view marketing as a cost centre and something that is, you know, at the end of the road or something that needs to be done, the comms function. Ironically, I think marketeers are to blame for a lot of that misperception. So whilst marketeers like to sometimes woe and I've been there myself, you know, why why is everyone questioning my value and what I'm doing? It's because marketeers aren't actually understanding where the business is coming from a lot of the time and not positioning stuff in business language and talking kind of marketing speak too yeah. much. Georgie, thank you so much. That I think that's laid some excellent foundations for the discussion we're going to have later today. Joel, welcome to the Unicorny Studios. It's fantastic to be here. Thank you for inviting me. Well, I have to. You've been banging the drum for B2B marketing since 2004. That's nearly 20 years. The activity or your focus of activity is now Propolis. Would you explain what is Propolis's purpose? How is it developing? Give us the lowdown. Propolis is a platform. It's a community intelligence platform. It's a closed community where the idea is that B2B marketers can come together to learn, share and grow and develop and be more successful together to create that safe space where marketers who come and talk about the challenges that they have can learn together, can ask candid questions of each other and, and get solutions from each other with the help of knowledgeable experts like Georgie and increasingly very soon, I'm very glad to hear Selby Anderson as well. So it's an excellent place where you can uh, ask those questions that you feel uncomfortable necessarily asking with the wider world um, and get that peer-to-peer -peer engagement and support, which is great for CMOs because what we know, I know about CMOs is that they really value that peer-to-peer -peer engagement. They want to get understand what their peers think about things and build that network. And it's great for marketing managers and marketing execs because they want to get practical solutions to their problems. So it's got a host of resources and training and content within that, um, regular activities. So really exciting place. And we're seeing this, this is the future of what the old school publishing industry has evolved into. You know, um, we were a print magazine when we launched 20 years ago, and this is our latest development. We still do conferences, we still do events, we still do a great awards program, but this is the core of our brand right now. So we're really excited about it. Thanks for that overview. We're going to link some details in our show notes, which you can find on uh, marketingdifference.co.uk. So we're talking to more and more leaders about the existential crisis in B2B marketing right now. B2C marketers generally have a different worldview because their senior leadership teams seem to get the importance of brand, not so much in B2B. But is it our fault? Georgia, earlier you mentioned you said you thought it was. Joel, what's your view? You've been banging the drum for B2B for 20 years nearly. What are you seeing? I think George is entirely right about the state of B2B marketing and the fact that marketers could do better. I do just want to state though, I do think we've come a tremendously long way in 20 years. I think if you look back at what marketing was like in 2004, it was to a great extent the colouring in department. It was the golf umbrella buying department. It's not anymore. It's moved on from that. We can definitely go further and George is one of those wonderful individuals who's at the kind of the cutting edge of what needs to happen and really gets a bigger perspective. But to your point, your question, Dom, what do we need to do? Do. And is it marketers' fault? I think George is right. Marketers need to do better and be clear about how to be part of the solution, not part of the problem. I think the crux of it, ironically, marketers aren't very good at marketing themselves or communicating. They don't understand what they should, what messages they should be delivering to which audience. And the C-suite audience is a particular kind of audience. They need to talk to them in the language they understand in the way that is relevant to them, not seek to talk to them about marketing problems and challenges. And then they also need to educate the next generation about how to do that as well, because they're even less informed about that. And they often see it as a a very microcosm of their own challenges on a daily basis. So, you know, we all need to be part of the solution, bringing the industry forward. And, and that's about basically eating our own dog food or drinking our own champagne is a nice way to put it. <laughs> 
I saw a, uh, sorry, I listened, I should say, to an episode of uh, the Sweathead podcast with John Evans, Uncensored CMO anchor, talking about some of the work that he does um, mentoring and helping CMOs develop. And I was really surprised that he said two skills that were really lacking in CMOs were, number one, an understanding of business finance, and number two, an understanding of influence, both of which I would have thought as a marketer are probably an elementary building block. And I think they speak to a blog you wrote last year, Georgie, called Stop Talking Marketing, Start Talking Business. And we're going to link that on the show notes. But could you maybe give us a summary of your thesis? Marketeers talk a lot about the performance of what they're doing and not in the context of what the business needs them to do. And so when they get very excited, and I've been very guilty of this, getting very excited with my lovely presentation to the board or the executive leadership team about how many website hits we've had and how many visitors to stand, et cetera, et cetera. But that means nothing to them. And what they are hearing is blah, blah, blah. I've been spending a lot of money, blah, blah. (laughs) And what they're not hearing is how it's materially impacted and affected business results. And CMOs that I've worked with and that I work with now, they are very much kind of excluded sometimes from some of those financial discussions, those business discussions. But I do think the onus is on them to help themselves and their teams start to develop that and start to be more commercial, perhaps, in their thinking, because that's the only reason reason that they're there, you know, to impact the business results. So one of the problems, I think, is in the tools that we all decide to use to communicate the work that we do. Dashboards, work of the devil. (laughs) Joel, do you feel strongly about the devil that is dashboards? I completely agree with the perspective that you can have this paralysis through analysis where you're looking at things and trying to exhaustively and extensively and you just get drawn into this world, the, the, the matrix, where you all you can see is the rest of the numbers. But I'm slightly cautious about being too derogatory about them because I think in, in so many instances, marketers don't use enough data to inform their decisions and there, there isn't enough evidence of the right data being used. I think you've got to strike the right balance. A quote which rings very true in this instance is from Rory Sutherland, who I'm sure we all know is an executive director of Ogilvy and a, a tremendous character in every sense of the word. My favourite quote of his is, all data comes from one place, the past. And that's beautifully put. It would be from a creative person who wants you to think more about creativity than necessarily the, the hard numbers. But I think it's unarguable that you can't get too obsessed with that because by behaviour, particularly in this current world, is changing so fast. You know, We've got to be a bit more agile and fleet of about it than that. Yeah, I agree. Again, what I have observed working in corporate, certainly in the past 10 years or so, is an over-obsession with data. And, you know, as we all know, it's never completely correct. So everyone will have an opinion on whether it's right or not. And then you'll spend four hours arguing around the board table about that. And then people will go away and crunch the data again. A lot of time is sometimes wasted on doing unnecessary internal tasks. And my view is that's too much of an inward-looking approach to business. Look at stuff that is important to the business and measure it as simply as you can and then take a view on it. And it's about taking action from those insights rather than delving into more and more and more of those insights until you try and find the answer that sometimes you want to find. And I think too much of this internalisation can sometimes inhibit actually going out and executing and driving the market. And I know the so many marketers and I've led teams where people, you know, their hearts drop when they know there's a big board presentation coming up because they're going to spend 
hours and weekends preparing and finessing and what a waste of time quite frankly and one of the challenges of that as well is that is that when you've got a board or a ceo that's not particularly marketing savvy or marketing friendly and you've got a sales director who can come in and say well i spoke to our biggest customer and they said this and that will trump your biggest compendium of data you've ever seen because the anecdote wins every time and i'm not saying that means that we should stop doing data i think we should be doing both as well but it, but it's frustrating that those anecdotes are so powerful and you've you've moved on to spend so much time and money collecting all that data and it counts for nothing. Yeah, marketing should be looking at the data within marketing and perhaps not exposing so much of it to the rest of the organisation because that's where then suddenly everyone else becomes an expert marketeer and we you know we've all worked with those people who are suddenly wonderful at creative or wonderful at messaging etc and that's fine but you're in a job to do something and they're in a job to do something so I always have this philosophy of stay in your lane right? Because we're here to do a job and to respect each other's capability. But marketing need to look at that data and that insight within marketing and not necessarily share what I think is marketing data that means nothing to non-marketing teams. And one of the problems maybe we talk a lot to tech companies and I know that that's where you spent your career is that there's a myth among engineers that you don't really need marketing if the product's good enough but actually in the world of B2B SaaS now kind of that's almost becoming true where marketing there's so much information so much data about usage that can come back through the product that maybe engineering and marketing moving closer together maybe? Well I think that product organisations and marketing in really successful companies that I've worked at do work very closely together. And so the market requirements, if you like, of a product being developed or a technology being developed comes from marketing insight. And so marketing are actually there at the very early inception, working with R&D on what's going on in the market, what competitors are doing, etc., taking customer feedback. And so whilst I like the kind of stay in your lane and do the job, ultimately you will work for the same business, right? So whether you're in R&D, sales or marketing, you should all be focused on the customer and the customer experience and the whole customer life cycle. So whether that's from product development right through to, you know, a SaaS renewal and, um, you know, cross-sell campaigns and upsell, etc. and advocacy, everyone has a role to play in that. And so it's not exclusive to one function. Well, this is an excellent point from Georgie. Marketing is not its own entity. It's not even in a symbiotic relationship with the rest of the business. They're part of the same organism, an organism designed to serve the customer as well as it can. And the quicker that both marketers and non-marketers stop seeing their business as siloed, well, the quicker that business and its leaders will be able to realize their full potential. This episode is sponsored by Selby Anderson the agency group that helps businesses operating in complex markets win the future. Selby Anderson's agencies serve global clients in financial services, enterprise tech, channel, industry, utilities, pharmaceutical and biotech. If you want to win the future, find out more at selbyanderson.com. You're listening to Unicorny with Dom Hawes, powered by Selby Anderson, the marketing group that helps complex businesses win the future. Coming up on the podcast, we dive deep into mergers and acquisitions, why so many fail, how they affect both customers and employees, and how to do transactions correctly. We also discuss why under-communicating to your customers is such a problem and how marketing can bring real value over the next 12 months. 
But before all of that, I wanted to ask Georgie if it's true that CMOs aren't very involved in mergers and acquisitions, and if so, whether it's a problem. Here's what she had to say. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's happened to me so many times. Actually, the worst thing is when you get a call from one of your team, perhaps the head of digital saying, you know, just being contacted by the head of legal or the CEO at 11 o'clock at night saying, got to change your website tomorrow. And A, that's really embarrassing because you don't know anything about it. And B, you know, suddenly everything is thrown up in the air and unplanned. And you know what the impact of an announcement of an acquisition or a merger is going to be. So I have worked for companies that have done it that way, which quite frankly, I just don't understand. On the flip side, I've also worked for companies who do it brilliantly. And I think companies like Vodafone do it really, really well. Maybe that's because of also their background in B2C, that they understand how to do that type of thing better and they value brand more perhaps than B2B does. I, th- I think that's the crux of it, isn't it? While obviously they, they appreciate naturally that marketing has to be so preeminent in that process, whereas in B2B, marketing is playing catch-up, admittedly some places further to catch up than others. Um, I was staggered. I think you were on the round table we did a few months ago about M&A, and I thought it'd be a niche topic. It was absolutely not a niche topic. Just about everybody there uh, was either currently going through, through an M&A or <laughs> recovering from one, you know, still in the, in the repercussions or preparing for one or had had the other scenario you, you said where they'd had just something just dumped on them. It's so prevalent, it's happening all the time and, and, and it, often it feels like in the same way strategy gets, you're just doing one reorg and then the next one hits, it's doing doing one M&A and the next one happens. So to your point, the crux of this and marketing needs to demonstrate its value to, so that the C-suite understand the role it can play in that much, much earlier on. I mean, when we started discussing this, I, I actually didn't even know it was an issue. We do a lot of M&A and, you know, at the a very early earliest stages when you're looking at deal origination. The starting point of that is where is our strategy going? How is the product going to develop? How is the service going to develop? What plugs do I need? How am I going to complete my product? Those are marketing questions. So even right at the very first stage of, of origination, one would think that the strategy team would bring marketing in to say, look, where's the product fit with these companies? And I'm literally staggered that it doesn't happen. Yeah, I think it tends to be quite a closed group of people, you know, sort of finance, legal, and perhaps some external support. I read somewhere recently that between 70 and 90% of M&As fail. One of the big reasons is things like poor communication and really bad sort of program management and project management of the process of the M&A and the decisions taken earlier on about the right fit. Ironically, those are all areas that marketeers are brilliant at. Again, where I've seen it work really well, marketing have actually had a good relationship with a strategy team or perhaps even strategy. So when I was at Vodafone, my team was responsible for business strategy and planning and understanding what the market's doing. So customer insight, market insight, also product marketing. People in product marketing can start to look at customer numbers, understanding what a customer base looks like, understanding where the potential value is in the future and what the competition are doing. And having that knowledge inside an organisation and not applying that knowledge (laughs) just seems to be daft, quite frankly. And I think there's a huge amount of value from the very beginning that marketing can add, even through the screening process. It strikes me that there may be a system one, system two thing going on here, that the legal and the finance teams are very much thinking system two, the rational, this will make sense, we'll have X territories, we'll increase our market share by X percent. But actually, you've got to get through system one first. And the people that are involved in it, the day-to-day people who are involved in it are all system one. And the best people in an organisation are understanding human behaviour, instincts, reaction is the marketing department. 
comes down to trust, doesn't it? Yeah. Do they trust that group or those stakeholders in that marketing function to participate in that conversation or are they still treating them like an executional driving sales, driving leads function? And it's a reciprocal onward journey of greater trust, greater value. What about due diligence? I mean, that's really important as well. So you've got a deal, you've found a deal. At some stage, you've got to dig into the actual business and say, is this, is it what it says it is and is it going to work? Where do you think marketing's role is in that? At that point, they're about understanding the customer base and about the alignment of products and, and about the practical implications of it. And it seems to happen more often, but I, I, I don't know, Georgie, but I got the sense there was a little bit of how much they're really able to derail the process at that point is, is moot. Um, mm. I guess it depends on the circumstance. Yeah, I think once the train has left the station sometimes, it's very difficult to get it to slow down or stop. And actually, that's why as well, in many uh, ways, even having R&D involved or, you know, your product development organisation is important because if they're owning ultimately the roadmap and marketing's helping inform that roadmap, going off and deciding to buy company X and it's completely at odds with the roadmap, but it's just because they've got a really good customer base. Where's that decision making, you know, happening? And ultimately, as you said, Dom, it comes down to strategy. And again, I've seen a lot of companies who are buying two or three businesses a quarter and kind of chucking it over the fence to marketing at the last minute. And they're Integrate still this. Yeah. <laughs> and they're still having to run their own marketing engine and marketing machine on top of that. It's a completely cavalier attitude, really, expecting these things are going to work. The more ambitious they are, the merger, the more significant they are. And if you're doing it repeatedly on repeat cycles and you're, you're just, you're asking for trouble. All sorts of reasons why marketing you brought in early, but the danger is they might say something which the, I don't want to say the finance guys, but but those people who are maybe uh, playing at that, that field don't want to hear. And then marketing doesn't want to be seen as being the naysayers. So there's an engine of, again, acquiescence um, mm. and promising to deliver something which you can't do. And to a certain extent, they're kind of a damned if we do and damned if we don't uh, scenario. And what often this comes back to my mind to being about if as for as a CMO, understanding the ethos of the organization you're working for, is this the place that I feel I can succeed and make a genuine difference? Or am I going to be bashing my head against a brick wall? As you said, Georgie, sometimes when you get that kind of deal frenzy, particularly if you've got a lot of deals to do and it becomes a numbers game, then sometimes the subtleties of the deal and is it or isn't it going to work fail. And I think one of the things that sometimes gets forgotten is the customer. I mean, we're all meant to be orienting ourselves to our customers and our markets. Marketing is supposed to be the voice of that customer. How many people actually, though, genuinely, when they're looking at a merger or an acquisition, say, what does this mean to our customer? They tend to think about themselves, I think, more than the market or the customer. But but also, I'm not suggesting that's not important for a second, because of course it's important. But before you get to the customer, it's the employee base. And that's one of the areas where marketing has a critical yeah. role in terms of communicating with both teams, keeping people on board, keeping people informed about what's happening, why it's happening, when it's happening. And that aspect of it is critical. That's why they need to be brought in in terms of that planning stage, coordinating all the different stakeholders, bringing them together, setting expectations around the first 100 days. Because if you don't have that group on board and aligned, you, you're very you're going to really struggle to get the customers on board. Absolutely. And, and that's the time actually where you lose a lot of your talent as well, either from your company or the, perhaps the company you're acquiring or merging because they all jump ship because the communications are handled so poorly. And again, sometimes I've worked in companies where I work very closely with the HR function and internal comms to do that right, to make sure that we got the strategy for, you know, press, analysts, shareholders, employees, customers, partners, etc. And making sure that you've got a comms piece right up front 
that is working through the whole program. That is absolutely what should happen. In that situation, the thing, I believe what we was conclude the best thing to do is to be honest that you don't know the answer to this and to be as clear as you can all the way along the line because it's saying nothing is not an option. Telling people that you will give them what information you can and you're working hard is the, is the best strategy in that far from ideal scenario. And the other thing, of course, is customers. To your point earlier, Dom, if you don't communicate properly both to your existing customers and also the customers of the company you're acquiring or merging with and making sure that you've got the right positioning to them, you're over communicating to them is so key. It's again, astonishing. I've seen clients that I work with who just have left their customer base go off into the yonder. And of course, the competition are loving it because they're jumping all over their customers. And particularly now at a time like this, where we need to be wrapping our arms around our customer base and thinking about customer retention, it's so key. We live in this era, don't we? Expectations are so high and people are so quick and able to share negative experiences that it's not an option anymore. You know, if you're if you're if you're failing to communicate about what you're doing, you're leaving people feeling fed up and disenfranchised with you, then you're asking for trouble and, and, it, and it can be a business ending moment, can't it? Absolutely. And then you wonder why your churn is going through the roof. In a webinar I was in last night, it was a webinar for private equity backed CEOs. And something that then popped up is that because of PE still needs to deploy and that the market is depressed and there are companies that are distressed, M&A is likely at some stage to go on the rise. And from a marketing point of view, that means not only you're going to be acquiring new product and service, but they might be crap. So the marketing plays a really important role. Like, Like buying value cheap is really hard. And to try and do it without a marketing lens, the voice of the customer, without an understanding of communicating to your people. If a company's distressed, it'll bring in. That's like double jeopardy, isn't it? Yeah, it really is. And I think it can feel like a supermarket suite for a lot of finance directors, etc. thinking, let's go out and buy, 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 if they've got the kind of cash and the backing uh, to do that. And like you said, you know, the company's valuation might be much lower than it was a year ago. And it's a bit like a, you know, do you need it or do you want it? And again, comes back to your strategy. If it aligns to your strategy, then fine. But just by Buying something, which, by the way, you know, as well, imagine buying a company that's going to destroy your brand because of their brand reputation that you haven't really looked into or their customer base that is just so unhappy with a bad product experience. So, again, you're right. That's where marketing can really help look in and that early screening level. I mean, if you're thinking about doing an M&A without getting marketing in at a very early stage, you're asking for trouble. There are so many ways it can come back to bite you. But also on a positive level, there's so many ways that marketing can add value to that conversation. It might say some things you don't want to hear, but you'd rather be hearing them than not hearing them. And then it, you pay twice as much in, in relative terms or other costs further down the line. The cliched view of this is a, a bubble of egos and w- without a lens that's providing a customer perspective on this. And that's exactly what your marketing should bring to the conversation. We we like to end each of our unicorny episodes looking into the crystal ball and time today is definitely marching on so it's a time where we're going to ask you both please to think about the future what advice would you give to marketers who want to continue delivering value to their business over the next 12 months which are likely to be extremely stressed months. One of the kind of core opportunities or best ways of marketing demonstrating its success is to focus on existing customers at the moment. Whether that's retention, renewal or upsell, that's a a really pretty primary thing to be focused on. So if you're going, if you're spending 
vast chunks of your budget on new customers, it's going to be very, very hard yards. That seems like a really obvious place to start. The other thing is, of course, is there are going to be the companies that just pull their marketing budgets, right? Ironically, it can be a great opportunity then for those other companies to beef up their marketing budgets and actually to drive market share. Because if other companies are taking the ball off their customer base, then there is that opportunity. I think it's important as well to keep your brand really, really visible at times like this, because at times of uncertainty, people need that trust and assurance of the brand that they've either bought into or are considering buying into. So over-invest and beef up brand activity and be that you know, PR, social, whatever you're doing is really key. I think it's also a good time to sometimes take some risks at a time like this and be a bit innovative and creative. It's a time where, you know, change is happening. Think a bit differently. Look back and think about your strategy as well and your plans because the world has changed. So you might need to kind of get those out of the drawer and take a look at them again and think about how things might need to be different. And different doesn't mean we're going to cut the budget by 40%. Different can be, let's look at a different way of doing this. Okay, so we like to finish off our episodes of Unicorn these days with a quick fire pest. Georgie, thinking about B2B generally, what worries you politically about the next 12 months? My fear is so many brands have done such a great job of expanding globally and reaching into markets that they, they never dreamed of years ago. My fear is people becoming polarised and becoming far more locally inward looking into their own kind of countries and regions and not so accepting of global brands. So I think global brands are going to have to work even harder to think about their local relevance as well as being global. I think Shane and I coined a phrase global, a mixture of global obviously and local and brands need to think about that even harder now. Brilliant. I'm going to come to yes. What sociocultural trends, Joel, do you think are going to impact how we market, communicate, do business? I think that you know we're seeing gradual shift in the kind of the demographics that are involved in making marketing decisions or making buying decisions as well. And therefore, there's this gradual inexorable shift towards new platforms, new channels. We're doing our first TikTok campaign, for example, which uh, I, I've, I've provided some visuals for, which I'm terrified to see how they're going to be added to it. <laughs> so I think that's coming out quite soon for Ignite USA. But what we're also seeing in terms of, we alluded to this earlier on, is how buying decisions get made and increasingly there's lots of evidence showing that the buyers are very much shunning advertising and kind of overt messages. And then they're increasingly relying on trusted mechanisms and advocacy and what in the States of your cynical you might call dark social, but I think in a more positive what we can call communities um, where people come together within a, within a safe space to get opinions, to share perspectives and kind of understand more deeply what's going on and how to make certain buying decisions. And, and certainly that's what Propolis is built upon, the ability to do that, for marketers to do that and to build that network and understand what your peers think about things. Um, for me, that's a really exciting development and you're seeing it across multiple different sectors, not just in, in B2B or in marketing. Um, it's really exciting development of how the world of kind of commerce and buying is changing and decisions are made. And, and it's kind of closer back to that natural word of mouth thing. We just have a digital mechanism to do that. So that's exciting, but you know, it's a challenge then for brands to know how to respond to that and get on board with that. So I'm going to take that as the answer for the T as well in the past. So I'm going to say we've done that now and I'm going to finish on a positive. 
quick one for each of you. What do you think marketing's biggest opportunity is over the next 12 months? I think it's about, as we discussed, two things. First of all, about understanding business need and responding to that. This is a time of crisis. If marketing can get on board and understand what the C-suite needs them to do, how they need to behave and communicate that in the right way, marketing's kind of stock will be higher in those organisations and those individuals will be more trusted and there'll be a better relationship going forward. Just to add to that, I do also think, I think, I think Georgie's going to agree with this one, but I think ESG is a big one as well. There's a low-level understanding about it. It's been a tick box thing oh yeah got to do that but actually it's not being understood or or leverage is a point of difference and i think it's going to become increasingly important for different ways you know whether you've got a product whether you just need to respond to something it's different for every company different environments they work in so that's a really uh, opportunity and it's a great way of demonstrating markets marketing social value as well yeah completely agree and i think it's that innovation and thinking differently as well and that's the positive opportunity for marketing in the next 12 months because it is time to if you are still down in the uh, basement hopefully you're not or in the stationary cupboard if you want to change the view of marketing at a time where perhaps things are a bit unstable to come to the table with creativity and commercialism combined it is a great opportunity to do that but you need to make sure that you speak business that's the end of the podcast for today and i have to say i think things are much clearer now We've had a great conversation. It's all about perception, about optics. And although marketing has a responsibility to own how it is seen itself, luckily we as marketers are also best placed to fix that. Remember, at our heart, we're communicators and storytellers. We define how the company is seen and who it's seen by. And we hear time and time again that marketing isn't business focused enough, but it's up to us to show the business that we are. It's up to us to show them what we have to offer. It's up to us to make the case for including us in mergers and acquisitions. I have to say on a personal note, I absolutely staggered that most business or more businesses, sorry, feel it's inappropriate to get their senior marketers involved at an earlier stage. It blows my mind. But anyway, to close out on what Georgie and Joel said at the end of our chat, the next 12 months, look, we think they're going to be hard, but maybe this is the time to take risks, to innovate. Maybe it's the time to look to make really big gains and to guide our corporate ships over choppy waters. There's been a sea change in how marketing is viewed over the recent years, but it's nothing we can't navigate. In next week's episode of Unicorny, I'm joined by Russ Powell, MD of awesome, award-winning B2B marketing agency, Sharper B2B, and Don Campbell, who is the head of alliance and partner marketing at Endava. And wow, what a guest Don is. A seasoned B2B marketer with years of experience is now building awesome alliances and partners to help super fast growth Endava, well, win the future frankly. Uh, It's an amazing show where Don talks to us about some of the specifics about making partnerships and using them to help drive market share. Please do tune in there. Thank you for listening to today's show. Together, we're building a body of reference to make marketing work better for business. Now, it takes us eight to 10 hours to produce each and every episode of Unicorny. Please take the time to share, rate, and review us. Help us get found and help yourself at the same time because Unicorny is far more than a podcast. It's a community of leading marketing minds and pretty soon we're going to be running events too. 
If you're interested in joining our community, please get in touch by following the Unicorny page on LinkedIn or connecting to me on LinkedIn. My name is Dom Hawes, H-A-W-E-S. You've been listening to Unicorny with me, Dom Hawes, powered by Selby Anderson, the marketing group that helps complex businesses win the future. Unicorny is conceived and produced by Selby Anderson with creative support from One Fine Play. Nicola Fairley is the executive producer. Connor Foley is the series producer. Kazra Feruzia is the superb audio engineer and editor. And the episode is recorded at terminalstudios.co.uk. Thank you for listening and we will see you in the next one. episode is sponsored by Selby Anderson, the agency group that helps businesses operating in complex markets win the future. Selby Anderson's agencies serve global clients in financial services, enterprise tech, channel, industry, utilities, pharmaceutical and biotech. If you want to win the future, find out more at selbyanderson.com.